Hi, everyone. This is Joe's decision from Unleash Potential, and you are now listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Took a little bit of time off. Uh, my team had some great success in the region and state tournament, and uh, but we are finished, and I am back to work here working on our podcast. This is going to be episode number 35. I'm so excited to have our next guest. His name is Jamie Beckler. He is the director of uh, Success is a Choice podcast, which I listen to every single day on the way home. That's one of the top podcasts in the country. Jamie is a professional speaker, leadership trainer, and executive business coach who works with teams ranging from major corporations to the NBA. Jamie is the director for the Success is a Choice podcast, which is one of the best podcasts in the country. Before going into full-time leadership work, Jamie served for 20 years as a college basketball coach, professor, and administrator. When he hung up the whistle, he didn't stop coaching. Jamie just moved from the locker room into the boardroom. He now travels the country, motivating people and coaching organizations on how they can build championship teams and cultures. Jamie left his last college as the winningest coach in program history. His 2014 team earned the National Champions of Character Award. He then moved to the high school ranks to serve as an athletic director for two years. During his time there, the basketball team won the state championship. He transformed the department's athletic budget and instituted student-athlete leadership training. As a student-athlete, he lettered in three different sports, football, basketball, and track, while attending college. As a longtime college basketball coach, Jamie says, I love working together with others to build stronger teams, create a championship culture, and achieve a higher level of success. Our potential for success is unlimited. There is no better feeling than coming alongside someone and helping them grow and become the person that they've always wanted to be. Jamie's passion for leadership and adding value to others led him to go through extensive training to be a John Maxwell Certified Leadership Coach, Teacher, and Speaker. John Maxwell has written more than 100 books and is considered the number one leadership expert in the world. Jamie was taught by Maxwell and his teaching faculty and is authorized to teach Maxwell leadership principles. Jamie offers seminars, keynote speaking, and coaching and aiding personal and professional growth through study and practical application of John Maxwell's proven leadership methods. Jamie says, my desire is to add value to people. I want to see people reach their true potential and achieve their goals. Success is a choice, and I love seeing individuals choose to develop and utilize their talents. It is also satisfying to see a business make the choice to grow and maximize their results. It is so satisfying to see individuals choose to develop and utilize their talents. Jamie is a weekly guest on various radio shows, including an ESPN station in Wisconsin. His syndicated Beckler on Business segment is also aired daily on a number of radio stations as well. He and his wife, Tabitha, have one son, Jalen. They are strong advocates for adoption. Jamie belongs to a number of civic and community organizations, including the NAACP, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, the YMCA, and the Chamber of Commerce, just to name a few. Coaches, let's welcome Mr. Jamie Beckler. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Coach. How you doing? Good. How are you, Coach? 
Hey, I am doing very well. <laughs> hey, hey, I listen to you every day. This is just a treat, man, to have you on the other side of the phone here. Um, but I appreciate you taking the time, Alex. I know you're a busy man. Well, I appreciate that. I was wondering who that one person was that listens to us. <laughs> yeah, it's Kevin Furtado, man. I tell you, it's uh, uh, you you do a great job of that podcast. And of course, I've I started my podcast, um, you know, about less than a year ago. Um, and I, I just take examples of some of the greatest podcasts out there. I know you uh, you have one that's absolutely tremendous, man. I, I'm I'm writing things down all the time, but sometimes course when i'm driving i can't write things down so it's kind of tough but you have really motivated me with some of your guests some of the insights that you provide i appreciate that you know we uh i, I don't quite do it the way it's supposed to be done they that people say that you're supposed to uh have a niche and you're supposed to be very focused on who your who uh who your audience is and who you interview and and i kind of said you know what i'm going to interview all different kinds of people from all walks of life and uh if some people listen to only a few of them, that's fine. Uh, I want to, I want to interview people that I find interesting. And so it's, it's not just coaches, even though we have a lot of uh, good coaches or athletes on it, but uh, we have business people and actors and entertainers and authors. So it's been fun. Yeah. And your niche is you're putting on successful people who have a formula for it. I mean, that's, that's what I'm getting. And there's all, isn't it? It's all it's about between life you know, in sports and, and different careers. I mean, I think you definitely have a great connection there, don't you think? Yeah, I, I would agree with you, Coach. I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I think it's good. I think the people uh, – I think people like the podcast. I, I just think that maybe we don't have as – maybe as loyal um, of listeners that will listen to every single episode like you do um, because, you know, if a, a lot of people are like, well, maybe – you know, these, these, these episodes aren't for me, but these five, I really love these five. So it's almost like a, uh, going to a buffet or something, you know, you, you don't eat everything, but you pick out a few things here and there. And, uh, you know, so we don't, our numbers maybe aren't as, as huge because, you know, you don't tune in. If you're a basketball coach, maybe you don't tune in every time or, or maybe you skip past some, but what happens is you, you miss out on some insights, like you said, that, that may help you because, you know, if, if, if you were a high school dropout and you end up having a business that makes 50 million a year, you know, I think a coach can still learn from some of those insights and, and some of those experiences because we've all been down in the dumps or we've all been in the valleys as a coach. And how do we, how do we pick ourselves up? How do we overcome challenges to get to where we need to be? And so, you know, a lot of times those formulas or, or those insights are the same, whether we're a basketball coach or a business person, you know, we, we just have to, we just have to be able to connect the dots ourselves sometimes, but just because you're not talking about basketball offenses doesn't mean that uh, we can't get something from it. And I tell you uh, where I'm learning from, you're exactly right, Jamie, is I'm learning how to improve my viewer. That's where I listen to, uh, to you and you got a, you just got a great knack for getting the most out of people, you know, speaking with them. So I've learned a lot from you in particular, um, Tell, tell our audience, I've already given it a, an introduction and so forth about you. Tell the listeners about your background, and I've studied you and researched you, and you have a very interesting background on how you got into the field that you're in now through your coaching, through uh, your leadership training. Tell us a little bit about your background. 
Yeah, I appreciate the question and the opportunity, to, you know, to be on the show and, and, and to talk a little bit about some of the stuff I've gone through or, or some things that maybe can be helpful to your audience as well. But, you know, I, I wanted to be a coach at a young age once I realized I wasn't going to play in the NBA, which was very, very early um, that I learned that. But I, I wanted to be a coach. I went off, I, I, you know, I went off to college. I played uh, uh, multiple sports in college. And then uh, I started off as a grad assistant at the division one level, which was, which was awesome. And, uh, from there, but I, I decided I want to be a small college coach. So, uh, I went, uh, was an assistant really worked my tail off. And, and those five years, uh, two years as a GA and then three years as an assistant coach, I made a total of $36,000 in five years. <laughs> like, like exactly. that was, that was how much money I made in five years of coaching. But I worked my tail off. I earned the trust of, of not only my my bosses, but the people I worked with and the people, you know, my competitors, the the people I would be out recruiting against, things like that. And and I earned a lot of trust in and people were willing to, you know, make calls for me. People were willing to uh, to uh, go to bat for me a little bit. And I had some opportunities to be a head coach. And after those five years as an assistant and, uh, you know, I that was when I made the transition in was always a men's coach those first five years. And so I made that tr transition into the women's game. And uh, my goal always was to be a head coach at an NCAA school by the age of 32. And so uh, I, I shattered that goal because I was 27 when I got hired as an NCAA division uh, or an NCAA coach. And, uh, and I'm, I'm a pretty much a, I'm an overachiever because I achieved that goal twice. And uh, the reason I say that is because uh, for the first after four years, they uh, they let me go. I got fired from that first job. And then I went on uh, right. to be an assistant coach somewhere. A, a buddy of mine picked me up almost like Nick Saban does for assistant coaches. He picked me up, <laughs> exactly. rehabbed my image. And uh, and after a year, uh, I got to be a head coach again uh, at the age of 31. So I actually achieved my goal of being a head coach. I achieved that twice. So I'm an overachiever, I guess, with that. But, uh, you know, uh, and then I, I was a head coach uh, a couple other times at different places. We had a lot of success, uh, mainly at the NAIA level. But it was those first four years where I was a head coach for the first time that really shaped some of my thinking because I, I, I wanted to get into coaching because I wanted to help people. But I, once I got into the, the head coaching seat, you know, it was all about me. It was all about I'm smarter than you are. I'm the smartest person in the room. I know X's and O's because I learned from some great coaches you know, I'm doing Pat Summit stuff. I'm doing Coach K's stuff. I'm doing Tom Izzo's stuff, you know, and, and it's not working. Well, it's got to be the kids. You know, the kids are idiots. The kids are soft. The kids aren't committed. You know, kids this, kids that. But every year I would have some new kids and I was saying the same thing. But the common denominator was me. And so I wasn't really doing my job as a leader. Um, and, and that kind of shaped me because when I got fired, I was like, well, how can you fire me? Cause I'm, I'm smart. And I was coach of the year, one of those years. And, and, you know, why, why would you fire me? And, uh, but I realized I wasn't leading the way I should. And, and it was too much about me and not enough about the kids and how can I add value to them and how can I make them better? Um, how can I serve them? And, and I wasn't doing that, even though I knew in my head, that's what I should be doing. I just wasn't doing it. And so that really shaped a lot of my career from then on out.
And, uh, you know, some of my best teams, we were also uh, some of the teams that had the most uh, uh, community service hours and, and did the, did a lot in the community. And, you know, we really started to focus on leadership and character and our wins uh, started to improve as well. And some of my best teams were when we had kids that, that really, uh, you know, put others first and, and things like that. So I coached for about 20 years. And uh, then I went to be a high school athletic director for two years. I thought I wanted to be an athletic director. And so I got out of coaching, went to be an athletic director at a large school in Indiana, uh, uh, fifth largest gym in the country for high school. It seated 7,500 uh, people. And so uh, we won uh, while I was there, they won their eighth basketball state title. So that was really fun to, to be there. And, and some people will know Zach Randolph. That's the school Zach Randolph went to, or James Blackman, who was at Indiana mm-hmm. or, uh, Scotty Wood, who was at North Carolina state. Those are all players, uh, that played there at that school, Marion, Indiana. And, uh, after a couple of years there, uh, I decided, you know what, I, I really want to cast a wider net. I really want to try to help coaches and athletic directors, impact students a little bit more and I wanted to uh, impact as many people as I could and and so I decided to get into uh, uh, motivational speaking and leadership training and uh, went ahead and made that jump and uh, I've been doing that for about two years now full-time. Yeah and I definitely have a connection with you in a sense that you know I'm I'm 54 so I've been doing this 29 years uh, at the high school level. And I definitely can, um, you know, as we get older, we're trying to go, all right, is, is this where <clears throat> we're always trying to find out what's our own niche, right? Uh, you know, how can we impact people? And, um, but I tell you what I'm learning from you in a sense that you have uh, really developed, particularly at the college level, it seems like you have developed high character programs uh, programs that focus on serving others um, towards maybe towards the latter part of your career. Is that right? So you have actually learned as you've gone through it that it's not about you, right? It's about serving others. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, early on, I, I, I wanted to do that. And I wanted my programs to be about character. And I wanted to serve, but I didn't quite know how to go about it. And, and like, we were doing sure. things to do them because that's what I thought should happen. But, but, you know, I would do things like, all right, we're, we're going to do a community service activity and I'm ticked off at two players because they got to work and can't come to this. And so I'm being sarcastic or I'm belittling them or I'm, I'm like, you know what, you're not really committed to this. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm telling someone they're not committed to being a servant. You know, how, how is that? Like, it might be true, but I'm going about it all the wrong way. You know, I'm not showing and I'm not demonstrating what servant leadership really is about. And I'm not demonstrating that I actually care about them. You know, if they have to work that weekend to make money so that they can come to our school or pay for books, I'm not being very sensitive to that. I'm not being very empathetic to that. And so I had to kind of grow up a little bit because I had these demands and I thought everybody should think like me, which was, you know, do the right thing but I wasn't quite going about it the right way. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't inspiring my players to want to be servant leaders or to want to be like me. Uh, even though we were trying to do good things, I wasn't going about it the right way. 
So you you kind of changed something like the me, Jim. You changed from a kind of a coach led program to a player led. Yeah, program. we tried. We tried, and uh, you know, I would say probably the last year of my coaching career, we were probably the best. And the second last year of my coaching career, we were the second best at doing that. You know, and in my first year, we were the worst at doing that. So, um, you know, I grew as a coach, and and certainly. Uh, you know, once I got out of coaching and went into athletic administration, you know, I saw it even more from that angle. And I tried to help the coaches out, you know, not make the same mistakes that I made as a, as a, as a coach. And, and that's what I do now when I go speak at conferences or clinics or work with coaches on a coaching staff, you know, Hey, these are some of the, the ways that I screwed up in my heart. You know, it wasn't like I was trying to do wrong and it wasn't like, you know, I didn't care about the kids. I just wasn't maybe always showing that I cared about the kids or I wasn't giving them a reason to get out of bed in the morning to come to practice, or I wasn't giving them a reason to have the best attitude at practice. You know, maybe practice was boring Well, or my players were bored at practice. Well, that was my fault. You know, I can say, right. I can say, Hey, well, we got boring players or our players aren't committed, but the reality was I wasn't inspiring them at practice. I wasn't making practices engaging. Um, if we were, if I was asking them to, to have strong character and, and make good choices, you know what, I can't come down on them and, and just, you know, kill them when they, when they make a, a mistake. I mean, they're 18, 19, 20 year olds, and they're going to make mistakes just like I made in college. Um, you know, I mean, I remember, shoot, I was the captain of, of a team in college and, and I missed the bus. I got left behind. You know, but yet I'm going to come down on my players when when they screw up. And and certainly we want to hold people accountable and we want to, you know, help develop them. But, man, if we're always leading with the whip and not the carrot, if we're always coming down on people, it doesn't make it really fun. And it doesn't it's not conducive to a, an environment that makes people want to listen to you and run through walls for you. And. But it, how long? Well, I guess well, I'm going to ask you a, a question that I think needs to be asked to our whole profession of coaching is. You learn this, you know, what, 20 years later, why don't we do a better job um, with experienced coaches having a more of a professional coaching development program for young coaches where guys like you go in there and we train coaches better? I just don't think. I, I know all I know, and I know from from your experiences that yeah, you know it now, but why don't we have a better training system for coaching? What's your opinion on that? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, sometimes coaches are not coachable. And for my first four years as a coach, I was not coachable. Um, you know, I would try to learn more stuff, but I wasn't learning. I wasn't looking in the mirror. So I was, I was learning more stuff like, Hey, this is a new zone offense we got to look at, or this is a new press breaker we got to look at, but I wasn't honestly looking in the mirror and saying, okay, I am screwing up. I am holding us back. I'm the anchor. Um, I was saying, so I would learn and learn and learn. I mean, I would go to clinics and I would learn as much X's and O's and new strategies and philosophies as possible but I wouldn't look at my own weaknesses. You know, everything that was happening when we were losing, it was because the players, it was always because of the players. Um, And, and it took me getting fired to realize that, you know what, I need to 
do something different. I need to look at things a little bit differently. And, uh, you know, we ask our players to be honest about where they're at. You know, we get upset when parents or players are, are delusional or unrealistic about things, but yet we tend to do that as coaches sometimes. And, and we're not very coachable and we're not very willing to listen um, or, or see, Hey, why did we lose this? Or, or why did I bang my head against the wall all season? Um, you know, and we tend to say, we tend to put it on the players. And, and I think that we as coaches, you know, we try to try to put off this, this exterior that, you know, we're tough, you know, we know what we're doing because we don't want to appear vulnerable. Um, and, and sometimes that I think hurts us because we're, we don't want to appear vulnerable. We're not willing to listen. We're not willing to admit mistakes. We're not willing to uh, listen to a player when they come to us with a concern because we know it all, or we'll do this because we told you to do it. Well, we need to take into account what's going on and, and see the whole forest and not just a tree. We need to see the whole big picture. And sometimes that means actually listening uh, to our players or listening to that parent that we don't like, but they might actually have a point or, you know what we, how many times do we say, well, I've told you this, I told you this a million times. Well, and you might need to tell them a million and one times, or maybe you need to tell them a different way. And so, you know, to get back to your question, I think as coaches, we're not very coachable sometimes. And it took me getting fired to realize that. But then it started a process of, all right, I'm going to do all that I can to really evaluate. And when we lose, it's my fault. And when practice didn't go well, it's my fault. Um, or, you know, what? I, I don't even like saying that it, it's not our fault but it's our responsibility to figure out how to make it better. And what I'm not going to do is I'm right. not going to put that blame yeah. and point the finger at those kids, whether it is their fault or not, it's my responsibility to inspire them or to get them to run that offense the right way. And, and, you know, if an offense isn't running right, what we tend to do is one of two things. We either spend more time working on that offense or we put in a new wrinkle, we put in a new offense. And sometimes what happens is it's the kids you know, and I know I just said it, well, it shouldn't be on the kids, but sometimes it just wasn't executed the right way, but it wasn't executed because we didn't give them a reason to execute it the right way, or we didn't, um, we didn't adjust to their, their agendas and their egos. You know, we, we have little Susie run into the block. Well, she doesn't want to run to the block because she wants to shoot. And so we can right. put in as many plays as we want or as many wrinkles, but until we deal with little Susie, and deal with let's get to the heart of the matter and let's give her a reason to uh, to want to run to the block. Um, I'll give you I'll give you a great example or what I think is a great example. I had this this really good uh, hot shot guard uh, freshman, highly recruited, and and we ended up getting her. But my team didn't play well. We didn't play a lot of bench players, and she was a bench player her freshman year, but. Her her position, we had her as the three in our offense. Well, the three in almost every one of our offenses was to essentially catch and reverse the ball, let's say. Well, I didn't mm -hmm. recruit her to pass the ball. I recruited her to be a scorer. And so I'm getting mad at her every time the offense breaks down because she's catching the ball instead of doing what the offense says. She's trying to make a play. And I'm getting upset at her when the reality is I recruited her to be a scorer and I put her in a offense at a position 
that doesn't allow her to do what she naturally does and what I said I'm recruiting you for. So I put her in a position essentially to fail. And then when she does fail and doesn't do what she's supposed to do, I get upset at her. And I think we do that a lot as coaches. We set these players up for failure or we don't think about truly whatever it is that, that we're really doing. We, we try to plug pieces in and go with like a template. Um, you know, football coaches do this all the time. They, they keep someone on the sideline who's really, really good, but they don't play that position. You know, maybe they're a, you know, instead of having a running back that catches passes out of the backfield, you know, maybe putting him in the slot, you know, like New England Patriots are great at utilizing their personnel. You know, we're not. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Sometimes we don't do that as coaches. We say, well, this person is this position. So we're only going to play them at this position. Um you know, Julian Edelman. I mean, talk about a guy who's multi-dimensional. Oh, absolutely. You know, and how many teams passed? You know, every, nearly every team in the NFL passed on him because, well, he's a quarterback, and we don't think quarterback he's a quarterback in the yeah. NFL. No, but maybe he can play something else. And so, you know, I have this young lady uh, playing for me that's very talented, but I'm putting her in a position, you know, to fail. It's like having a, a wild stallion or a mustang or you know one of those racehorses, a thoroughbred. And you're hitching them up to your wagon or your plow to plow the field, you know, that you're just, you're not utilizing them. And so as coaches, sometimes we don't sit back and say, you know what, what can I do to get the most out of every player so that it make gets the most out of our team? Yeah. And that, we got to look at ourselves. I mean, and I, I tell you, I, I totally agree with you, Jamie. And, um, I see that a lot with coaches on that blame and their players for their lack of insight, their lack of leadership on that. And sometimes just got to look in the mirror. Like you were saying, I totally agree with that. You've been coaching women um, for a whole, so I'm going to pick your brain because I've been coaching girls for 29 years. So I want to pick your brain a little bit. The first thing I want to do, you didn't know this was going to be a basketball interview, did you? That's okay. That's okay. I love talking (laughs) to you. <laughs> um, but you have, I, I, from what I sense, rebounding was is really important to you. Is that correct? And I, I want to pick your brain on how do you take a girls' team? My girls' team. Um, this is our third year of this program. We started it from scratch. It's a new charter school, so we started from square one. So in three years, now this year we made it to the state tournament in our school history. So we've done a lot of good things. We're a horrible rebounding team, Coach. Give me some, give me some key insights <laughs> for girls basketball. We're small. We're really smart kids. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we shoot the ball well. We pass well. We defend well. We can't rebound. Give me some help. <laughs> well, first of all, I would say I, I think you have to decide as a coach what you're going to emphasize. And, you know, I know it's cliche, but I do believe it's true that you get what you emphasize or what you allow. And so a lot of times as a coach, we're going to mention rebounding a few times and we're really not going to emphasize it until we give up 25 offensive rebounds in a game, or we had this terrible game, <laughs> right. we lose the game because we gave up this offensive rebound on the free throw at the end of the game or something like that. And then all of a sudden we're mad at our kids. Well, we didn't really emphasize it for the two weeks previous. So um, I, I think that in, 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 and this is where it's tough for a coach because I don't think you can emphasize everything. You know, we want to have a team like UConn 
you know, or we want to have this team that's just amazing at everything. But, but the reality is most of us can't. And so what I did was early on, I said, all right, what's most important to me and hustle, aggressive, aggression, toughness, those are important things to me. And then I looked at, all right, the women's game, whether fair, or unfair, whether you like it or not, the women's game teams miss more than they make nearly every team in America in the women's game, you know, shoots under 50%. And so if both teams are shooting under right. 50%, that means the majority of shots are missed. So whoever can control mm-hmm. those loose balls per se, you stand a chance then to be competitive in games because the majority of shots are going to be missed. So can you control that? Now, obviously you can't get every rebound, but I said early on, you know what, in the women's game, I think that we can get an advantage here by, by getting as many loose balls and taking advantage of these missed shots. Now, once I decided that that was something that we were going to focus on and emphasize, then how do we do that? Well, one of the things, first things we did was just our philosophy, our, our mindset. Everything, when you came into our program from day one, everything was about rebounding or about toughness. So we did little things even like our, our players wore knee pads because I did not want a single player to not want to get on the floor for a loose ball because they were afraid of hitting their knees. And, and certainly we had to take some ridicule from some fans sometimes, you know, asking when the volleyball game starts, things like that. Because you just don't see <laughs> right. that very often. And, uh, you know, and, and my players, after the initial shock of, oh, we got to wear knee pads, they didn't care anymore because we led the nation in rebounding almost every year and we would get loose balls and we would have opportunities to score and opportunities to do well. And, and, and so that, that was more important than how they looked. And we got, we tried to get them nice Nike ones or whatever, you know, the brand was that they wanted, but our mentality. So for us rebounding, here's the thing. We never had to worry about ball hogs on our team. Because the mentality early on was even if Tiffany takes a shot and she's a ball hog, two things are going to happen. One, Tiffany is going to make the shot and that's good for our team. Or two, if she misses, then she just passed the ball off the rim to me. So I'm going to go get instead of pouting on this on the, you know, on the perimeter when Tiffany takes a shot, I'm going to go get that rebound. As soon as it leaves her hand, I'm assuming it's going to be a miss, even if she's made seven in a row. I'm going to assume that that shot's a miss. I'm not going to wait till it's a miss to go rebound by then it's too late. And so we were always a step or two ahead of everybody because we didn't wait to react. We went and we were proactive about every shot's a miss. Um, We would send five to the glass on offense. Now, some people don't like that. Wow. Um, Yeah. We rarely, 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 I'm telling you, coach, rarely didn't. Five to the glass. Now that's new. That's I've seen four coach, but not five. Tell me a little bit about yeah, that. Now, now the, the people out there coaching men, I don't recommend that. Um, four is the most you can get away with, with men. Um, but with women, um, and, and I would say this, even at the division one level, if you do it right, you can send five to the boards. Now we rarely got beat down the court because we sent five to the glass. Now, what we, 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 we would get beat down the floor because somebody was spectating. 
So say we send, say four of the girls or four of the ladies went to rebound. Well, one might just be spectating and watching on the side, you know, kind of the shot goes up, they're on the wing and they just watch it. So they didn't get back and they didn't go rebounding. And we call that spectating. Um, But when we actually sent five, when five people went aggressively to the boards, there was rare, it was rare, a handful of times all year that we would get beat deep. Um, And then you, you drill that. You drill that. We go in, we don't get the rebound, and we sprint back. It's the same way when you run uh, line drills in practice, you know, where you're changing direction quickly, things like that. So you're going in for a rebound. Immediately, as soon as you see you don't get the rebound, then you're, you're, you're planting and you're cutting and you're going the opposite way, trying to get in defensive transition. Um, but we, So you're teaching aggressiveness then by going – by just that mentality. What I like about it, I'm thinking mentally – you're, you're saying, all right, five to the glass. That means we're, we're all going in. This is, this is all in, right? Yes. Everybody's a rebounder. And, and that was the same on defense too. Defensively, I was not looking for a player that was a great, that, that boxed out great, but never got rebounds. I didn't want, and, and, right. and this is not to say that people that do this is wrong are wrong, but for me, we never did a drill that you block someone out for like five seconds and you're just trying to keep your person from getting the ball. I don't want to keep anyone from getting the ball. I want to get the ball myself. Um, so we would do stuff. We didn't really block out like for a long period of time. We would, we would call it hit and get. So we hit them once and then go get the ball, hit and get, hit and get. Okay. Um, Cause I didn't, I didn't want the mentality to be that we're keeping you from getting the ball. I want the mentality to be that we are going to get the ball whether it's defense or offense. So everything was aggression. Everything was toughness. Everything was, we are making things happen. And, uh, you know, you just, you just day in and day out, you get that mentality, you know, whether it's a shooting drill or, or not, you know, we would have shooting drills, just little things like partner shooting, partner shooting. Well, if I'm the one rebounding and passing, I'm, we're counting bounces. We're not letting the ball bounce on the ground. So that person just can't stand flat footed and watch and, and take their time and be a lollygagger. You know, they've actually got to go after that rebound. And if it's a miss, it doesn't matter. They still got to get that rebound before the ball hits the ground. So we, even in shooting drills, we would try to emphasize rebounding. Yeah, I love that. And it's funny, you mentioned this at the beginning as coaches, now I, and I realized that the problem is I realized it too late this year because in the state tournament game, we were out rebounded and we, you know, we have, we have a pretty good team and it's too late. And what I'm looking at is that now I got to start from the beginning. I got to become a better rebounding coach. Um, so I'm taking pride in that because I emphasize a lot. I probably emphasize too much, Jamie. And we talked about rebounding. We drilled it but we didn't emphasize it enough. And I got to take that to heart, right? Yeah. But, but, you know, I, I'm biased because that was what we did. Well, um, you know, we, I can't criticize you or any other coach for not doing that because we all pick what we all pick our battles. We all have these things that are most important to us. Um, you know, for me, I felt like if I can get a team of, of players, that are having each other's back by rebound that we rebound the heck out of the ball, then our players are going to feel like they have each other's back. So when I take a shot, I don't have to worry if I miss it or not, that my, 
that my teammates are going to be mad at me or, or look at me funny because they don't have time because they're going to rebound because that's right. their chance. You know, I, I joked with a parent once and, and we had a good relationship, but I joked with a parent once after a game, he was like, you know, you recruited my daughter, but you didn't run any plays for her in this game. I, I said, you know, well, sir, we missed 52 shots in this game, 52 shots in one game. We missed, she had 52 plays run for her. <laughs> She could have gone and got right. any of those pl- any of those shots. Now, we were I was joking. That's a great her, point. Yeah. Essentially, every play, every shot, there was an opportunity for you to get an extra shot as a rebounder, and and so I think that took a lot of the pressure off the players when they were shooting. Um, you know, it built a lot of more a lot more camaraderie with our players because hey, we're going to have each other's backs, and you know, offensively. Now, this is a this is kind of a crazy statement, but we never ever ever wanted a turnover in the half court um turnovers in the half court were evil because you can't rebound a turnover so right. so if my guards if they had a turnover they were coming out of the game immediately uh in the half court and they knew that because i was telling them you got to shoot the ball now that sounds crazy but we were like hey you got to shoot that ball if we recruited you to shoot the ball you shoot it. People are going to go have your back. They're going to go get those rebounds. And at the end of the day, the box score is going to look good, you know, and people aren't going to be able to tell if you scored 15 points because of rebounds or 15 points because you created your own shot. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to have a, give ourselves a chance to win, uh, give ourselves a chance to be competitive in games. We probably shouldn't win, but we're going to be competitive because we're getting extra shots. And, uh, we would practice missed shots on, on free throws and we got so many free throw offensive rebounds. Um, you know, we would actually drill. We, we had, we had a play, we had play set up on every free throw. Um, and, and, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we were known for that and, you know, it was fun. It was fun to get extra rebounds, fun to get extra possessions and, and fun for, for me as a coach, because yeah, we're coaching effort, but it was great to see kids give effort and you reward them for that. Um, and, and, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, if I'm recruiting your kids, yeah, I want your star player, but I don't want your star player if they're not willing to, to mix it up a little bit, you know, I'll take your second or third player who's willing to, to mix it up and they might actually end up being a better college player in our program because they're willing to get loose balls. They're willing to do the dirty work. Yeah, and that's that's one thing we're trying to sell to our. I, I have a couple kids that are that are going to go play at the next level. It's a matter of, um, it's a matter of them becoming more aggressive, particularly on the rebound. I have one girl that's very gifted, but I don't think she's tough enough inside. I don't think she's tough enough rebounding. But that that's on me. But like you said, I love how you mentioned you really emphasize the toughness mindset. Um, the rebounding mindset. And I absolutely love that. And I got to emphasize that more. So you know, this interview is helping me out big time on that. So you need people like yourself, your other peers to kind of look into you and kind of say, you're basically, you know, helping me out. And I really appreciate that as a coach. Can you tell me a little bit about Jamie, about the difference, the gender differences between boys and girls? Because <laughs> you, you have coached women. And I, I was listening to a great podcast this morning talking about gender differences. And it's like, it's, I don't think we do enough of that as coaches, particularly girls coaches. 
there's a big difference. Um, now you can teach them same physically. They're, they're all athletes, but there, there's tremendous differences. Don't you think? Well, there is to a degree. And, and certainly there's not as much as there was when I started coaching. Um, you know, I think the physical part of it is, is probably more prevalent. You know, you're not going to play above the rim. You're not going to have, you know, a, a, a most females in general aren't going to be able to throw the ball and do the Christian Leitner thing, you know, or the Grant Hill thing. Right. They're not going to throw the ball consistently the length of the court accurately. Um, or they're not going to be able to dribble from inline to inline in 1.5 or two seconds. Um, so there's yes. some physical differences there that you have to account for in general. But, you know, I would say, and, and not, to, uh, not to avoid your question, but I would say, honestly, I would say not worry about the gender differences quite as much as we worry about if you have 15 players on your team, you may have 15 different personalities and 15 people that have come from different places, or maybe they came from right. the same place, but they've had different experiences and different upbringing, or they've had different things happen back in their background that have caused them to be how they are today. And I think as coaches, um, more so even than male, female, which, which there are some important things. And, and if you don't think that, I mean, just be married, you know, husbands and wives see things <laughs> differently. Sure. Um, sure. You know, I, I, I communicate differently. I hear things differently. Um, you know, so there are some differences, but I think more importantly, what is each player? Each player is their own unique individual. And the way that I motivate Tiffany might not be the way that Whitney is motivated, uh, even if they're roommates. And so I think as coaches, sometimes we don't spend enough time um, looking at each player individually. And how do I get both Tiffany and Whitney to be inspired? And it's not the same all the time. And, and so I think as coaches, we sometimes take the easy way and we just paint with this really big, broad brush and say, well, I'm going to treat them all the same uh, because they all came from the same place or because they're all females. You know, they're going to they're going to be the same or, you know, fill in the blank. And, and I think sometimes people are they're individuals. Our players are individuals, even if they sometimes have group think even if sometimes they seem to have the same opinion, sometimes there's different things that inspire them, different things that motivate them, different uh, carrots that motivate them that we can use. And so uh, I don't mean to totally avoid your question about the male female difference. I think it's even more important that we look at every player as an individual and that takes a lot more time and effort on our part, but I think it's much more worth it because then we're able to, uh, make those connections with players that we desperately want because we're always saying, well, kids are different today or kids won't run through a wall anymore. Or, kids aren't committed, but they are, if they feel like there's a connection, they are, if they know, like, and trust you, if they, if they know deep down that you care about them because you've demonstrated that, then they're going to be willing to do those things uh, the way we want them to do them. Yeah. And that's a great point because sometimes we utilize gender differences right and it's almost like inferior superior where boys do it this way girls do it this way and we almost make it out where girls are inferior sometimes just the way we handle it you know what i'm saying well boys you know they they talk it out and so forth and girls do not talk it out that's, that's kind of one of the 
the generalizations I think I hear a lot and so forth. I, I definitely wanted to get your opinion because my next question is about your leadership playbook. On uh, that's that's part of developing leaders, right? Particularly when you coach girls. I don't think we do enough leadership training as uh, coaches. Your leadership, yeah, your leadership playbook. You one of the things you mentioned. It's like teaching ball handling or shooting. Um, sometimes we, you know, you got to teach it, right, Jamie? Talk about your playbook. Percent, and I, and I, I, I hate to make this keep sounding like, well, coaches aren't doing this and coaches aren't doing that because there's so much put on the shoulders of coaches and there's so many expectations for coaches. But I say, and and I believe this 100% that if you focused more time on leadership and character development, as opposed to your X's and O's, you wouldn't see a whole lot of negative difference. Like your, the play on the court wouldn't be that much worse uh, but what we think is, man, if we have a one hour practice instead of a two hour, we're going to be worse. Or if I don't do this in practice, we're going to be worse. And the reality is we keep banging our head against the wall and we keep getting the same result or the lack of results every year by doing what we've always done, which is, all right, I'm going to spend more time in practice and I'm going to do more drills or I'm going to do more scrimmaging or I'm going to put in more plays. And it's all X's and O's. And the bottom line is, like I said earlier, the play might not have broken down because of the play itself or because we didn't spend enough time. It might be because there's some agendas or egos involved. It might be that, you know, Jalen and Chris, uh, they don't like each other or they like each other, but they both want the shot because they're trying to get that college scholarship or maybe Jalen doesn't trust the coach. Um, you know, so there's all those kinds of things that play into this. Uh, or, you know, you, you have the back of the bus, you know, you're in the back of the bus or you're in the cafeteria or you're in the dorm room and you're talking bad about other players or you're talking bad about coaches. And, you know, that weighs heavily on your mind. And then all of a sudden, when we're in the heat of the battle, you don't trust each other um, because you've been talking bad about each other or you, you give up or you quit quicker on each other um, because you've been talking bad and all those things lead to your culture all those things lead to you know do you have a program like you want it and and a lot of times as coaches our solution is just put in a new play or we got to spend more time in practice and that's that's just a symptom that's not the illness and so I wanted to write this book because a lot of this stuff was the same stuff I did as a coach I started taking less time in practice and we had guest speakers come in we did uh, book studies And when I say book studies, we didn't even read the book. It was just, you know, summaries of the chapters. So instead of reading a 200-page book, we had maybe a 20-page handout, and we did summaries of books. Uh, We would do videos. We would talk about technical fouls. We would talk about things in the news that were happening with players before it became an issue on our team. Um, You know, we tried to be proactive. We tried to nip things in the bud because – once someone gets upset at a referee and gets a technical or they go ballistic on an assistant coach or two players get after each other, you know, it's hard to deescalate that at that moment. But if you've been working on that, you know, in the quiet of the gym, or if you've been working on it, that in practice, or if every day, and this is a silly example, but if every day you're a bad referee as a coach and you're, you're emphasizing next play, you're emphasizing, Hey, you don't have time to even worry about the referees. 
well, then all of a sudden you get I, into a game and you're probably not going to be worried about the referees as much. Um, you know, if you don't let them get away with, uh, you know, back talk or complaining about other players or rolling their eyes in practice, then you're going to have less of that in the games. And so what I said was, hey, how can we work on these soft skills, these intangibles that I think matter even more than a player's ability? And, and that sounds crazy because we want players to have strong abilities, but if they don't have the character, if they don't have that mindset of I can be a leader, I can, I can influence people. I can, I can do the right thing. Then their talent is only going to take them so far. And uh, you know, so, so one of the things in the, in the book that we talk about is a mind, a mind shift, a, a mentality change of what a leader is. A leader is not the senior. It's not the captain. It's not the starter. They can be leaders, but those aren't the only leaders on your team. Everyone on your team can be a leader because everyone can have influence. Leadership really is just about influence. Um, you know, these two freshmen, your worst two players on your team or the two youngest players on your team, they're going to influence somebody on the team because they have a friend. So they're going to influence them positively or negatively. And, and going back to the, uh, you know, talking about the locker room or the back of the bus, there's going to be drama. There's going to be fires in your locker room. And the only question for me as a coach was, am I equipping them with a fire extinguisher or lighter fluid? Am I helping them to deal with those issues or not helping them? Because I can't always be around when those issues come up. Yeah, I, I love that. I'm, I, I totally agree. It's the one thing that um, I've been really focusing on because I've been dealing with some, some great – I've been really looking – for some great leadership materials. I deal with a guy, uh, Adam Bradley, part of the lead Em up organization. He's really helped me out. Uh, matter of fact, he was on my podcast and guys like yourself who are really like, what are, what can we do? What's our playbook and your playbook. That's why the one thing that I, I'm definitely going to purchase is what are some activities? What are some things that we can do to help teach leadership? Cause I don't think coaches, they might have an X and O playbook, they don't have a leadership playbook. And I think you're, you're definitely um, – if you're, you probably have to struggle with this too because you're probably saying, coaches, why aren't you using this? But these are things I think are the difference makers, right? Yeah, so, so there's a couple things. One is, is you're talking about my book, and I appreciate you talking about my book, uh, the leadership playbook. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that. A lot of teams have bought this and, and worked through their team during the year with this. And one of the things we did was we, we put together like a one-page handout. So there's discussion questions. There's maybe seven or eight discussion questions for each chapter. And then there's maybe two or three assignments, like homework assignments. So what some teams are doing, and this is essentially what I did as a coach, was, hey, once or twice a week, we're going to get together and we're going to talk about a topic. And, and those topics are, are chapters in this book, but we're going to talk about topics, maybe verbal leadership. So let's take, you know, a, a, a traditional way of thinking is that, well, I'm not a verbal leader. I'm a, I'm a lead by example person. Okay, that's fine. But unless you don't talk at all, like if you have no tongue, otherwise you're a verbal leader in some way, because really verbal leadership is just about influencing positively through verbal verbal communication. So when you and your friend are talking on the bus, when you and your friend are talking in the cafeteria, you can be a verbal leader then. So what we do is, all right, we're going to get together. We're going to go through some discussion questions, real simple questions, and then maybe here's an assignment. 
Maybe it's how can we encourage the next week somebody? How can we verbally encourage someone the next week? And so those are some simple things that don't take a lot of time. And you don't even have to buy the book to go through some of these things or to think about this, these things, but get your players talking ahead of time about issues. Um, community service. I think community service is one of the best things that you can do as a coach to help develop the character and leadership on your team, because it gets them serving others. It gets them being part of something bigger than themselves, which is really what basketball is or a team sport is. It's sacrificing your agenda, putting your ego uh, you know, aside for the good of the greater good for your friends. And so uh, community service. And one of the things we did one year, I think the most we ever did was 32 community service activities in a year. Now that sounds like a lot wow. and, it, and it is yeah. a lot, but every player only did about five, four or five community service activities during the year. But what we did was we gave them this long list and said, these are activities that we, we have set up that, that, you have available to you. We want you to pick four or five. Now, the only stipulation is whatever you do, there has to be two other teammates. So there has to be three of you together doing it. So let's say you want to do, you want to do a, an activity back in your hometown of Greensboro, Georgia. That is fine. You can do an activity. It's not on our list, but you can do it as long as you get two other teammates to do that community service activity with you. And so we had people helping out others and doing great things while learning teamwork, while learning, you know, hanging out together. And so that was huge for us. We also did committees. We had, we had, uh, let's say fundraising committees or travel committees. We, we would have these four players that were in charge of deciding where we were going to eat when we were on the road or where, what, where were we going to wear Nikes or what kind of travel suits we were going to have or a committee for getting people to our games? How could we advertise or market our program? And so instead of having just two captains or three captains, we had every player was on a committee. And so they got to develop their leadership and make decisions and, and see responsibility. We, we helped them with that by putting together these committees. Um, so that was something that we really enjoyed. And, and, one of the biggest things we can do as coaches, and it goes back to that rebounding thing we were talking about, about emphasizing, is that you're going to get what you emphasize or allow. But if you as a coach are emphasizing leader or want leadership in your players, if you want them to be better people, if you want them to make better decisions, then you have to uh, reward that behavior. So, for instance, rebounding, if somebody is getting rebounds, but they're not making shots. I still played them because that was what we were about. I wanted their, I wanted that as our number one emphasis. And so if they were doing that, then I was going to reward them as coaches. Sometimes we talk about team, team, team. We talk about sacrificing, but then we're the first ones to praise that kid who just hit the shot at the end of the game. That was their 30th point of the game. Instead of praising the kid who passed in the ball and maybe sure. cut down the lane hard that drew the defense that allowed that last shot to, to take place or the kid that set the screen that freed up that person. And particularly in the media, we all, I mean, I, I think the media as coaches, we, we don't emphasize enough the dirty work, the unselfish acts of, of a team. Uh, I know I'm just as guilty as anybody with that. And I'm telling you what, if you, if, if you have a kid with four fouls and they step in and take a charge with 40 seconds left in the game, 
and, That's and big. Yeah. that charge gets called, or even if it's a block, but they stepped in with four fouls, man, you need to publicize that kid because that was so unselfish because some kids would never do that because, well, if the referee makes that bad call, I follow all the game instead of, Hey, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do for the team and, you know, setting the screen man, or, or making that extra pass. And you talk about making that extra pass even more than who, who took the shot and made the shot because everybody and their brother can see who just hit that shot, but not everybody sees what went into that shot. And man, if you can publicize that, if you can praise your kids in the locker room for that, praise them in the media, then all of a sudden, the next time in practice, you ask your kids to do something. They're like, Hey, coach really means this coach. Isn't just, you know, blowing smoke. He really means this team stuff. He, and I think that goes a long way toward the leadership stuff, because if they see you doing that, then they're going to now have an example. They're going to see what that really looks like in real life. Um, You know, and, and I know you have to work the official sometimes. I know that, but if we're asking our kids to be composed and have poise and move on to the next play or, or whatever, but we don't ever do that. It's hard for our players to then develop that. Oh yeah. And, and we're, we're all guilty of that. Right. I mean, <clears throat> I, I got to give you an example of something really quick is um, we watch a lot of video. We watch a lot of tape just like you probably did. And we talked about, we talk a lot about our program is body language. And I go, hey, man, you got, you know, when you come off the court, you know, you have to, you know, you, oh, we talk about we sprint off the court. We give high fives. We don't walk off the court. We always sprint on and off the court. We handle, um, you know, we, we never, we always show good body language to the referees. We hand the ball to the referee. And there was a, a, a tape and it was on me on the sideline. And I was like, I had the worst body language. I was pointing out, check this out, Jamie. I, I was pointing out bad body language when the person who had the worst body language was me. <laughs> and we just laughed. But that was one of the things we just laughed. And I, we all laughed about it. But it taught me a lesson, right? It's like, it's not just the players. It's oh, the it coaches. And, and I had the worst body language, Jamie. You, you be, I mean, it was like, you know how coaches are where our body language Sometimes on bad calls, lack of hustle, our body language is horrible, but it was on me, not on them. Yeah. And, and you know, that makes me think about, we, we have got to, as coaches, we have got to continually remind ourselves that we are teachers and that we are developers of people. And, and, you know, I've seen so many coaches who the game is out of hand, you know, it's a 20 point game or whatever. And, and they stop coaching. Um, you know, you, un, unless you have a team full of all seniors and it's your last game of the year, you always are coaching. You're coaching for the next game. You're coaching for the next practice. You're coaching for the next year. Um, you know, and, and those kids at the end of the bench are in some ways just as important as your starters because, because they can screw up your team. They, they might be friends with right. those starters or just, they could be a distraction on the bench. And so, I think as coaches, if you stay engaged with your players and you're always in the teaching mode, you're always like, you know, hey, did you just see what happened out there? That was what we talked about the other day in practice. Remember that? Or, you know, something silly like that where you're constantly engaging people so that they feel like 
you care about them, but also you're not giving them as much of a chance to be a distraction. And one of the things we did was my, my coaching staff, we would sit in the middle of the bench. So essentially that uh, everybody, you know, was in just two arms length or whatever of a coach. Like we could, we could talk to coaches. And, and uh, I first saw that from, I first saw that from a guy named Mark Campbell. Mark Campbell is the women's coach at Union, Union University in Tennessee. He, he's won okay. like a million national championships. He's just an amazing coach. And, and, uh, Mark Campbell union, union university. Okay. Union. And, uh, okay. Uh, and they, uh, they're now division two. They were NAI when I would coach against them. They're now division two. And, uh, you know, they were able to, to touch base with essentially all their players that way. Um, you know, and I'm not saying you have to do it that way, but I think the more as a coach, that you can model the behavior that you want. The more as a coach that you can engage your players positively, I think the better off you're going to be in, in developing, uh, developing them, developing their leadership, developing their character. And, and that's going to matter when the chips are down, when, when things go rough, when, when things are not going the way you want it, when adversity strikes, which we all know it will, you know, how are they going to react to that kind of stuff? And if all we've done is is teach them you know well you go here on this play and then you go here and then you go here you know they're not going to be ready when adversity strikes um they're not going to be ready when a referee makes a bad call which we all know will happen um you know what happens when you know they've had a tough day at school what happens when we get to a game and you know uh, uh we're in a bad locker room or you know the game has to start late or, you know, there's all kinds of distractions. How are we going to handle that? And if we've been working on just leadership stuff and character stuff, we're going to be better able to handle adversity and be more resilient to things, um, especially in basketball, yeah, especially in basketball that has so many ebbs and flows to it. So many things that can go wrong um, and not go the way we expect it to go. Um, so I, I think that that's huge. Uh, obviously I'm biased because that's what I do now for a living is I work with teams. I work with players and coaches to help them be better from this aspect. But, uh, you know, I'll give you, uh, last year I was, I was dealing with a division one team. The assistant coaches wanted to bring me in to work with the whole team for the year. The head coach did not want to, he didn't think it was worth it. And about midway through the season, he actually got suspended for the way he was treating his players. And then at the end of the year, he got fired. And I don't know if I wow. could have solved that. Like, I'm not sure that I could have kept his job, but I certainly know that I could have worked on both ends. One is players. How do you handle when coach gets on you? How do you handle things that don't go your way? You know, where's your attitude? What kind of positive men- mentality do you have? And then with the play with the coaches, Hey, how are you engaging with your players? How are you making them better? How are you adding value to them? And you know, I'm thinking back and I'm like, you know, if, if I have a, a job that pays me $400,000 a year, I probably want to do everything that I can to keep that job. And, uh, you know, I, I see that with coaches, whether they're division one or high school coaches, I see that is that we're not always willing to be coachable. We're not always willing to look at how we deal with players. We're not always willing to look at, you know, what is it that's really keeping us back. And, and a lot of times, like we talked about earlier, it's, it's us, you know, we're not bringing out the best in our players. We, it becomes more transactional instead of transformational. We become more, 
it's about if you hit this shot, then I like you. If you don't hit this shot, I don't like you. And, and uh, it's got to be more process oriented. It's got to be more journey oriented as opposed to results based and, and destination based. Yeah, but I think at the D1 level, and I, just from, from talking to and hearing a lot of coaches, it is undue pressure on these guys. But, but, but that's when you really got to step up. I think the successful ones, I think they do with it. I think they're, I think they're, they're egoless. I, I, even a guy like I – know, I know everybody thinks Coach K. I think that guy – I think that guy is a genius on how he deals with people. It's, he's so relationship – uh, he, I know he brings in a lot of great players and so forth, but those guys who are that successful, they're not doing it by just talent alone, aren't they? No, they're not. And, and you make it, I mean, you, you brought up a great point is that there's so much pressure at the division one level, but there's so much pressure at some high schools too. And, and no, no and doubt we about actually that. actually put a lot of our <laughs> pressure on ourselves as well. Some of it is unrealistic pressure, but here's the thing is that I, when I worked with, I, I could come in and work with your team or I work with a team in the NBA and I'm telling you what, yes, there's some differences. Obviously they're, they're millionaires at the NBA level, but they still have ego. They still have feelings. They don't want to be that, that guy that's the 10th man and in, in the, the rotations only nine deep, you know, they don't want to be that person that was the, the college all American, but now they don't get to score ever. You know, they still have feelings and egos. So, you know, whether you're division one high school or professional, it doesn't matter. You still have to figure out a way to inspire people, make them better and and make that connection. So they know, like, and trust you. And they feel like you can help them achieve some of their goals. And, and it doesn't matter who you are, you know, take, take Alabama with Nick Saban, you know, before this past season, the, the 2018 football season, they were having issues with their quarterback, Jalen Hurts, you know, talking in the media about, well, I was never talked to by the assistant. I was never talked to by the coaching staff for getting benched. They never really told me why I was getting benched in the national championship game the year before. Now, every rational person hearing that is like, well, we know they don't have to say anything because Alabama has a culture of competition. You know, it, it doesn't matter. It, we're going to play or you're going to compete all the time. We're not going to give you anything. But the reality is this kid felt like the coaches staff didn't care enough or they didn't talk to him enough or they didn't say what he needed to hear. Now, Nick Saban's probably thinking, well, he knows that we have a culture of competition, but the reality is there wasn't the communication done there. And so you have a player that's maybe unhappy or a player that's hurt or a player that, that when the first sign of trouble comes may not give you the benefit of the doubt. Now, certainly Jalen hurts, you know, stepped up in the sec championship game this year or in 2018. Um, but the, the point of all that is even at that high level, you still have issues with people's feelings getting hurt with people's egos being affected. And if you don't take care of, those soft skills and those intangibles, you may end up having a situation where a kid transfers or a kid is unhappy and they weigh your team down. And now all of a sudden at the end of the season, you're wondering, well, we were supposed to win a championship, but 
you know, we ended up losing a few more games than we were supposed to. And you wonder why that happened. And your, your locker room, your culture was deteriorating because you never took care of an issue or because you didn't address an issue or because this kid didn't like you or trust you anymore. And it's not all about kumbaya. You know, it's not sitting in a circle, you know, and just kind of sharing your feelings. It's not that, but it is understanding that people are people and, and you need to treat them the right way. And as coaches, if we don't do that, Sometimes even if we have a lot of talent, we're going to fall short of our potential. Yeah, it's always the human factor, right, Jamie? I mean, we even as high school coaches, I think we neglect that. We think it's the X's and O's. We all know it's the Jimmy and the Joes. I mean, it's the kids we have to um, we have to work with. One of my favorite coaches is a guy named T.J. Ruzine, who is the head men's basketball coach at Emmanuel College. Matter of fact, I recommend you get him on Success is a Choice podcast. This guy is great. He is one of the most outstanding coaches, and he also has a podcast called The Hardwood Hustle, and he is unbelievable. One, one of his favorite statements is, and he coaches at a small, you know, small D1 school uh, out here near Athens, Georgia, where we are kind of close. Uh, he mentions that you have to fight for your culture every day with your players. That means – communication every day, one-on-one, every single day. It's not about, like you said, the kumbaya and the team meetings and the, all that kind of stuff. It's the, you got to fight for your culture by communicating with your players. What do you think about that? 100% spot on. And, and you, when you stop doing that, when you take it for granted, when you say, Hey, we've got a great culture, we don't have to work on it anymore. When you think you've arrived uh, two years later, you're going to be looking for a new job or two years later, you're going to be banging your head against the wall. And it might not happen right away, but it will happen two or three years later if you stop working on that culture. And, uh, but it's, this is tough. All this stuff that we're talking about is, is tough to do, you know, for Valentine's day, I would rather, you know, get a box of chocolate and, and flowers for my wife. Like that's easy to do, you know, stop at the street corner, you know, buy, buy some flowers at the gas station. What's hard to do is to take out the trash every day or to pick up my socks on the, uh, the, the bedroom floor, you know, to do the things every single day that I, I need to, to keep this place. Or do or the dishes. Do the dish. Yeah. Any of those things, but it's easy, <laughs> okay, I'll leave that one. <laughs> but it's so easy to bring in flowers. Yeah. And so as a coach, it's so right. easy to put in a new offense that I just saw coach K run or a new zone right. you know, defense or whatever. That's easy. The hard stuff is every day I'm talking to my players and making them feel special and, and trying to help them understand, all right, the role, your role isn't what you want it to be, but your role is very important. You know, I could have a, a hundred thousand dollar sports car and a little, uh, a little spark plug, a little cheap spark plug can mess up that whole beautiful car. You know, every role, every part on a car is important. Every role on a team is important. And, you know, as a coach, that's hard to do. It's easy to, to, to set up a play for the star to get a shot. It's hard to get four other players to do everything in that play possible to get that star a shot. Um, you know, and, and so these things that we're talking about, about culture, about leadership is, is not easy, but I think it's so worth it. Uh, just like in a marriage, it's so worth it. It's so worth it if you do what your wife tells you to do or if you do those little things or are you surprise her with something every once in a while, you know? So yeah, you're right. Culture every day is a battle. Every day is a battle for your culture. 
And do you see that as a major problem with all the organizations you deal with, whether that's sports or business? Is that one of the, is that, is that the main issue? Uh, yeah, for the most part. And, and what happens is we as a people, we want to place blame. We want to say, if something's not working, it's because of somebody else or something else. It's not because of me. And, and I'm not, you know, we kind of talked about this earlier, but I'm not of the opinion that it's important always to know whose fault it is as opposed to who's responsible for making it better. And everybody's responsible for making it better. So let's say, let's say if your team is underachieving and I came in to work with your team, I'm going to talk with your players we're going to discuss some things and essentially I'm going to tell them that it's their responsibility to make things right. And the way they make it right is by doing what they're supposed to do and by encouraging and lifting up their teammates. Um, even lifting up the coach, encouraging the coach. How many of you have encouraged the coach lately? How many of you have praised the coach lately? And then when I talk to you, I'm going to say it's your responsibility to get the players on board. It's your responsibility to inspire them. So essentially what I'm saying is players, it's your fault. Coach, it's your fault. But really what I'm saying is, Hey, it's your responsibility to make things better. It's your responsibility to make things better um, because we're all in this together and it's not always, hey, it's the coach's fault or it's the player's fault in an organization. You know, I was brought in once uh, the, the CEO level people, they said, Hey, we need you to fix our, our company or work with our company and so we want you to meet with our middle managers. And I said, well, do we meet with you as well? And they're like, no, the problem is the middle managers. <laughs> I'm thinking, no, the problem isn't the middle managers. The problem is everything. You know, we have to have an overall atmosphere of getting better, of win-win. Um, and so, you know, you work with the middle managers and, you know, they're, they're saying, well, the, the, the CEO level, you know, the upper level management, they don't provide us the resources or they don't listen to us. And then they talk about their employees and say, well, their employees aren't committed. Their employees don't care. So you try to work with everybody and get everybody to see that we're all in this together. You win together, you lose together. Um, you encourage one another. Um, you celebrate successes together and you overcome challenges together. We're all in this together. And, uh, and I, I, I have this cartoon. I love this cartoon to show it's, it's of these people in a boat and there's a hole in one end of the boat. And on the other end, the people are saying, so glad that the hole is in, the, in our end. You know, it's like, well, at the end of the day, you're, you're still going to all sink together. And so, yeah, the, the answer yeah. is yes. Yes, that that's one of the culture thing is one of the things I see. And, and you're going to get what you emphasize or you allow. And, and people are going to know your culture essentially by not necessarily what you say, but, but do you back up what you say? You know, I can put up the best posters in the locker room all day long, but if I don't emphasize what's on those posters, then it just becomes, you know, taking up wall space, just beautiful decoration. Yeah, I love that. Um <clears throat> And believe me, coaches that are listening and so forth that, that are going to hear this, um, I mean, get out your notepad. This is great stuff. And I, I tell you, I, I'm spending more time, Jamie, in, in my career now, my 29th, focusing on this more than anything else. And I'm still way behind. Let me give you an example of what we do here, and I want your feedback. Yeah, is that okay? Yeah. Uh, 
I believe in player-driven teams. And what I was really proud this year, and that is we handle winning and losing just the same. So if we, before the game, we clap it up. My, my team has the most fun. We got music playing. We're, we're, the, we're the most fun team. We're, people always say that about you guys, you guys have the best cohesive team. That doesn't mean we're based on winning. Because when we lose, I teach my team, like in the halftime or after a game, we all stand, we all clap. When the coaches come in, the players always stand up and clap and encourage and so forth. Um, And just this recently, we were down 20 at halftime in our state tournament game. That means it was one and done. And we came in the locker room after the coaches meet and so forth. Everybody stood up and clapped and started. So that means – I think our culture is going in the right way. Um, what do you think about that? We're always talking about encouragement in the tough times and also the good times. Yeah, and that's that's really tough to maintain that and and be consistent with that all the time because you know when we lose we we want to blame or when we lose we want to feel bad for ourselves or you know uh, so so anytime you can do that you know, if you can do that on a regular basis, on a consistent basis, like what you're talking about, that's great. Um, and, and the, the true culture of that or what you're going to notice is, uh, not that you have substitute coaches, you know, like you have a substitute teacher come in to school, you're not going to have substitute coaches, but yeah. do those players do that same thing when they're not around, when you're not around, or do they do that for other sporting events? Let's say, let's say they're at a volleyball game. Will they still clap? when the volleyball team loses and they walk off the floor, you know, and, and that's probably an extreme example, but you know, are they trans, is that transferring to uh, other parts of their life? Is that becoming internalized um, and becoming who they are? Right. Are they looking for opportunities to help people? So going back to my community service example, you know, are any of our players doing community service, even if they aren't getting credit for it? Or are they helping other people, even if they're not getting credit for it? And that's what you really want to see is, is has that become internalized in them and it becomes a way of life, uh, a way of, of their being. You know, that's who they are now, not just when the coach is around or not just when coach is making them do that. And so, you know, the more you emphasize that, I mean, that's, that's great. That's, that is awesome that you guys do that. Um, you know, and I, I think having fun, I don't have a problem with that. I did early on. I thought, you know, shoot, if, if we lose a game, the last thing you better be doing is talking in the back of the bus or listening to music or no, heck heck no, we're not going to put in a movie on the bus. We just lost. Well, the reality is pouting about it or, or beating yourself up about it right now isn't necessarily going to help. Now, certainly you don't want to just joke about everything. You don't want to take nothing seriously but i think as coaches we take things way too seriously sometimes you know our practice our two-hour practice time is holy um you know oh man don't don't infringe upon my practice time um when in reality is we're wasting most of our practice anyways we're not being very efficient with our practices a lot of time um same way with the attitude after a win or a loss you know what are we trying to do well we're trying to develop people we're trying to have the best community in the future we're trying to raise up leaders a lot of those kids that we're coaching that's going to be our our future business people our future politicians our our leaders in our community what are we doing 
you know, that 20 years from now, they're not going to be serving our community by playing basketball. They're going to be serving some community as a, as a wife, a husband, a mother, uh, a father, you know, a, a business person, those kind of things. So what are we doing as a coach? And I know that's getting a little deep, but we've got to remember that even when we're dealing with a 14 year old or a 15 year old and especially, especially coach, how many of us say these parents are idiots or these parents, these parents are terrible. You know, so many of us will say that, well, then who's, who's training up these kids. So we have to do that. We need to take it upon ourselves to help teach them some values and not to hammer them, not to bring out the whip, but how are we going to best develop them? And, And none of us like it. How do we like it when our principal or our, our athletic directors constantly nagging, and telling us, you know, what we're doing wrong or never encouraging us. We don't like it. We don't like being told what to do all the time. And so it's the same way with these kids, but sometimes we have short memories and we forget about that. You know, I hate it when my wife nags on me, not that she does, but no, I hate hate it when my wife was constantly telling me to do something or my boss was telling me to do something, but yet that's what I'm doing to my players. Um, You know, they're going to do, you know, they're going to do things for you if they know, like, and trust you. Um, and so how do you inspire them? And, and so, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think the more that we can do that, uh, I think the, the better off that our teams are going to be and the better off our future is going to be. Yeah. And I love the community service. That's one, that was one of our goals this year. And we, uh, we didn't do enough of them. Uh, and I think it's, I think that's, that's a main focus that, we were, we are going to take in the upcoming season because you get away from the practice setting and you get, sometimes when you get away from basketball and focus on others, I think your basketball improves. Absolutely. And it doesn't even have to be, excuse me, it doesn't have to be going to Africa and digging a well for water. I mean, it doesn't right. have to be something crazy that, that spends a lot of time and costs a lot of money. It could be, all right, well, we just got 20 new pairs of Nike shoes in. We're going to save all 20 boxes and we're going to fill them up. We're going to go to the dollar store and we're going to fill them up with toys. And we're going to take 20 boxes of toys to, to brighten the day of 20 kids at the boys and girls club or at Christmas time, or, you know, we're going to, we're going to have a, find a gym class and we're going to go into an elementary school and do a gym class once a month for for those kids or something like that i mean we're, we're just going to do some little things that don't even cost much money i love that um and i appreciate you sharing with me all those great ideas hey one of my other questions um talks about your podcast and i i tell you i go down the list of your podcast and one of the best i remember hearing is i'm actually trying to get greg tonagal on on my podcast. That guy is unbelievable. I, the program that he's built at Indiana Westland, um, talking about his Christian based culture that he's developed. Um, tell us about him and also tell us about some of your best interviews you've had on <laughs> Well, there. Greg Tonigo is definitely, uh, uh, a class act and he's an amazing coach. And I'm telling you, you know, he's a guy that if he was the basketball coach at Indiana university, we would be talking about him, uh, as one of the better coaches in the country. Um, and, and I'm not just saying that cause I'm friends with him, but this guy has the it factor. 
he's he's like that guy. He's like a Brad Stevens. He's like a, a Chris Holtman that's now at Ohio State. You know, a guy who started off from, you know, kind of at the bottom to a degree, but just a class act, poised, calm, has a great perspective, and it's not about him. It's about how can I serve my players, and he's got competency. And, and yeah, uh, he does a great job at Indiana Wesleyan. They've won the national championship in 2014, 2016, and 2018. They've won the national titles in NAIA, and he's constantly getting Division One transfers. Uh, I believe he's got a, a guy from Kansas on his roster right now. I know he had an Indiana transfer at one time on his roster. So class act, does things the right way, and I've seen that uh, firsthand. You know, I, I used to be the athletic director in the town that he coaches in. And so I would go over and watch practices, watch games and got to know him and, and see him. And yeah, definitely Greg Tonigal at Indiana Wesleyan is, is someone that all coaches should look at, try, try to get in contact with and uh, pick his brain a little bit. But uh, you know, the, you know, there's been a number of podcast guests that uh, I won't say that they surprised me by being good because I, I, wanted every guest on because I thought that they were good, but some that I, that I thought, you know what, this person just dropped a lot of nuggets more so than I thought. And, and one that sticks out in my mind is somebody that probably uh, none of your listeners have probably heard of. And that's a, a lady named Betsy Butterick, Betsy Butterick. And she used to coach college basketball for a little bit. Um, but she's uh, known as a communication coach. And she talks a lot about communication and how we uh, can be better in our listening and our verbal skills. And she just had so many nuggets about the way you, you approach things. Um, and, and one thing that stands out to me is, you know, a lot of times, let's say you and I have a conversation or, or you and I meet up for the first time or whatever. And you talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, you talk about, uh, let's say your trip, your, your vacation that you had this summer. Uh, let's say you, you went to Vegas for your vacation. Almost immediately after you tell me that, I'm going to tell you about a trip I had to Vegas. And I'm going to start telling you about my experience with Vegas. And I turn it into me. And we almost always do that if we watch our conversations. And and yeah. the problem is, is that we turn it into us. We turn it into about us instead of the other person. And this goes back to an old book uh, called how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie, where he talks about the more, uh, the more you can get the other person talking, the more that person is going to think you're interesting, even though you haven't said anything because most of us like to talk. And so, you know, when you turn things about you and you do the most of the talking, other people are going to kind of tune you out. They're not going to think that you're interesting a lot of times. And so uh, she talked about, you know, more of the other person and less of you. And, and that was one thing that stood out to me. And, and I started watching how I, you know, when I'm just in normal conversation with somebody, um, you know, not a podcast, but normal conversation. <laughs> you know, do, am I quick to be like, yeah, that's so true. I, I agree with that, Jamie. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. On, and then uh, Sunquist <laughs> is the former UCLA softball coach, Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah, softball coach. Man, yeah. I wish I'd listened to her 25 years ago. I would have been a much better coach. Man, yeah. she now and she was <laughs> she she talked a lot of the same stuff that I'm talking about. She was all about wins and losses, and she was all about not really caring about the player necessarily. 
it was about what you could do for me. Um, or, I mean, she cared about players, but at the end of the day, it was more transactional. And she talked about some of the lessons that she learned. And so she was, she was really good. Um, really good with that. But uh, yeah, there's been, there's been quite a few, you know, John Gordon, he was, uh, he was really good. He's the author of the energy bus. He's, he's got a, he's got a great story to tell just in the fact that over 30 publishers rejected the energy bus. Um, You know, nobody wanted to publish it. And, you know, now it's a New York times bestseller and it seems like everybody's read it. I tell you, I, I am trying to get John. Maybe you could help me because you're a man of influence. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to get John Gordon on my podcast, and I know everybody's trying to get him on. Um, but uh, if you could put in a good word for me or his email, I've been trying to contact him um, because I'm a big fan. I have all his books. That guy, I tell you, I love his stuff, man. He, he, he writes some of the best motivational books uh that are around and they're so simple yeah, and easy are. don't yeah, you think i enjoy them i've never read a bad john gordon book and, uh, but you know uh, you know i had to wait uh i had to work pretty hard to get him you know i had you know we we, we i had to persevere um not quite like uh interviewing uh, uh kevin harrington who is uh on shark tank for the first four years you know that dude's that dude's worth yeah. almost four hundred million dollars. He's the inventor of the infomercial, and uh, our interview got canceled yeah. about eight times. And uh, I'm thinking, there's no way. Like this dude is just brushing me off. Like he's not. He's never going to come on the show. And until I actually got him on the phone, I never thought it would actually happen. But we just persevered. Um, you know, and but you know, sometimes it's a you know, as I interview some of these people. Some of them I'm friends with, or I know even before we interview, some of them, you know, we interview and, and I get to know them a, a, a decent amount afterwards. But here's the thing. A lot of these guys or, or ladies, you know, they're successful, but they also understand that other people are important to their success, that it's a team, even, even if they're, you know, individual it's still, they still have a team around them. They still have a support system. They still didn't get to the top. They weren't born at the top. Most of them, you know, they had to work their tail off or they had to persevere, they had to overcome a challenge. And uh, so many of them, you know, they go through struggles too. And I know it's cliche, but they put their pants on, you know, the same way we do now that they, they just might have more expensive pants, some of them, but you know, <laughs> right. and, and that's the thing, you know, you might not be able to, you know, we might not be able to touch base with, with some famous people. Sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean that they're arrogant or they're ego driven. Um, but, uh, you know, some of these people have the same issues that, that we have in our lives. And, and, uh, I mentioned the NBA a little while ago, some of these players, some of these players are no different than the players you coach. You know, when I worked with the Raptor Toronto Raptors for the first time, you know, I was nervous as all get out because they didn't know who I was. Um, and here they are, you know, all-stars and millionaires and stuff. But but these guys, they have the same feelings. They have the same issues in their life. You know, they're still dealing with, even if they can afford to hire people to help them out with stuff, they're still dealing with issues with their family. They're still, you know, their kid still gets in trouble at school or their wife still tells them to pick up their socks or, you know, they're dealing with, uh, uh, 
family issues with a mom and a dad, or they're dealing with, they got a speeding ticket or, you know, and I know that they can pay those speeding tickets off, but they still go through some of the same issues that we go through. Um, that's probably a bad example yes. of the speeding ticket. Cause if I had millions, I probably wouldn't worry about a hundred dollars. But... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, we, you've done a great job and I, I love your, um, I love how you interview. I, I, I just tell you, I, I'm always, what do you think about the podcast future? Because I, I love podcasts. I think it's the wave of the future where you can listen to knowledge. You can, you can really make it specific to what you want to hear because I think everybody's on the go now. Right. So I think podcasts are, it's the future. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you hundred uh, percent. And that's one of the reasons I got into it um, was because we all think we can multitask, but none of us can multitask watching a YouTube video. We, we don't multitask right. necessarily watching a video, but we can get on that, that exercise bike um, or that treadmill and listen to a podcast. We can drive on our commute to work and listen to that podcast. Um, so I do think that that, that is, um, I don't think that's going away. I don't think audio is going away. Now, I, I would see podcasting going more um, quick hitters, more short term type uh, like short-term format. Uh, and I, and I'm not no, right. you know, I'm not a fortune teller or know the future or anything, but I do think that it's going to be important for you or I, or anyone that does a podcast to figure out how to repurpose the material into shorter batches, into shorter segments. Um, you know, if your podcast is a half an hour or podcast is an hour, you know, how can we make that even, um, shorter or how can we segment that uh so that people really you know it might even be you know you ask me 10 questions well all 10 questions you can listen to each one of them individually you don't have to listen to a whole podcast uh you can you that's know, a great point and i i don't know if that's going to be the case or when that'll be but but i think we're consuming things in shorter shorter but uh doses now you know we all have a shorter attention span it seems like and so you know, I think that that's going to be something that we're going to need to look at. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think it'd be, you know, it would be great if you would put on and I would put on almost like my top 10 kind of segments in all my podcasts. And you do the same. I think that'd be awesome. Just kind of short segments like you mentioned. I think that's a great idea. And I, I know a friend of mine uh, that does it with what he's called his coach's corner where he has short little segments. He comes in with five or six coaches and they each give a short segment and boom, and it's over with. Um, I, I really do like that. Jamie, tell me about what's one final piece of advice you can give our listeners. I know that I have gained tremendous insight into leadership and many other things rebound. Now I'm, I'm going to become, I'm going to become the top rebounding coach now because of you, Jamie. Um, how can the listener, what's one final piece of advice you can give our listeners and what's the best way for them to contact? You? Yeah. Uh, let me circle back to the rebounding thing. I also have a rebounding video. Shame, <laughs> shameless. Plug. I know you do. I want to get it. I want to so get it. They can get that at <laughs> championship rebounding.com championship rebounding.com. Okay. And, uh, the funny thing is that that rebounding video got released like the week after I resigned from coaching. 
So I have never technically been a coach while that rebounding video has been out. Um, but, but anyways, they can get all those drills and stuff there. But, uh, um, you know, one piece of advice, I think, and, and this sounds corny because this is the name of my podcast, but success is a choice. What choice will you make today? Um, success is a choice, but so is failure. You know, we're constantly being faced with choices, hundreds to thousands of choices each day. And some of them are just minute, but we're faced with choices. And most of the time we know the right choice. We just don't want to do it. You know, I heard once said discipline is, is uh, when you choose what matters most over choosing what matters now. Um, you know, and, and so like, if I'm faced with what am I going to drink and I'm like, all right, I want a Mountain Dew or a water. Well, I know I should take the water, but I sometimes choose the Mountain Dew because I want that now. I want that taste, but it's not good for me. And we sure. go through life a lot of times with a lot of choices that we make the wrong choice just because we want it and we don't want to wait or we don't want what's over that next uh, horizon that's more important. And uh, so I think we need to go through life thinking success is a choice and our lives are made up of a series of choices. Um, and that's the same with our players. That's the same with us. And, uh, you know, we can say, Hey, you know, going back to that ticket thing, you know, if we get pulled over for speeding, we can say, well, why did you pick me? You know, there, I was just go, keeping up with the flow of traffic, but the reality was I chose to keep up with the flow of traffic. I chose to go faster than I was supposed to. Um, you know, and so we make, we make choices all day long. Um, and you know, I, I, I sign off every, uh, every episode with success is a choice. What choice will you make today? And, and we, we do, we can choose our attitudes. We can choose our effort all the time. We can't always choose what happens to us, but we can definitely choose our reactions, our responses. We can choose our behavior. Um, but as far as uh, uh, the best way to reach me, I'm on Twitter at coach Beckler, um, my website, jamiebeckler.com. And uh, anyone can reach out to me by email, Jamie, and, and it's spelled J-A-M-Y, so it's a different way of spelling it, but uh, jamie at coachbeckler.com. And uh, people are free to reach out to me anytime uh, with any questions. Uh, uh, just the other day, I had a, uh, an athlete, uh, a field hockey player from a college in Pennsylvania, reached out to me um, and wanted some advice on how to be a better leader on our team. And so, you know, I was That's like, right. hey, you know, do you have time to talk? And she's like... Yeah. And so we set up a time for her and her other captain on the team to talk. And so we talked for about 45 minutes on how to be a better leader. So, you know, I have no problem with that kind of stuff. You know, uh, we'll try to make time to, to do that and to help people out. Jamie, keep up your great work. And I'm going to promote. As a matter of fact, that's going to be put into our program actually starting this summer when I get my team back. Um, but I appreciate you sharing, sharing with our listeners and you are doing a great job of that podcast and uh, continual success. And uh, I appreciate you coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed this conversation and keep up the, the work you're doing. I've, I've really enjoyed uh, you've had a lot of good guests, a lot of people that I know and, and that I know are good coaches as well. So keep up the good work there. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks for taking the time out. You're welcome. All right. Thank you.
Hey coaches, this is Nick Bartlett with Dr. Dish Basketball, and you're listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Make sure to check us out at drdishbasketball.com and on Twitter and Instagram at at drdishbball for daily basketball drills, tips, inspiration, and how we've revolutionized the basketball shooting machine over here at Dr. Dish. Also mention this podcast and you will receive an exclusive discount on your next Dr. Dish purchase. Thanks for tuning in. This is Matt Smith from United Basketball Clinics. A highlight of my week is listening to Kevin Furtado's Championship Vision podcast. Kevin has a passion for the game and helping coaches grow in their craft. He interviews some of the best basketball minds in the business, and you are sure to gain insights on how to improve as a coach. I suggest you check out his podcast today.